0: Thanks, Jackie. Thanks to Trevor and the team as they've led us through our time together this morning. Uh, Would you uh, just bow with me as we commit our time together now around God's word in prayer. Father, we thank you this morning for, again, this opportunity to open up your word. Father, as we uh, again look at uh, why we as a church exist, a purpose uh, to which you have called us, we ask, Lord, that uh, that you would make it clear to us all uh, our part in that, and we pray especially that uh that we will continue to be a people of God here in this place who about who are about your business who are about seeking your glory and proclaiming that glory throughout our world and in our lives for we ask it in Jesus name amen uh, a survey, a recent survey um, on the, uh, that was taken by the US-based research company Lifeway, found that, <clears throat> excuse me, nearly two thirds of professing Christians never share their faith with another person. Of course, these are US statistics, but I would uh, be uh, pretty confident in saying that there would be a pretty similar situation here in Australia. In fact, some would say that those figures um, are probably a little bit uh, generous; that in fact, it's probably a lot worse. And I think there are many reasons given as to why people do not share their faith, why believers in Jesus do not share their faith. Some might not see the need to do it um, because of theological uh, opinions or things like that. They might not see the need to, uh, to or the reason why they should be sharing their faith with others. I think for the vast majority of people it is a fear of rejection or ridicule of just how uh, that will be received by those around about us and particularly how we are, how we are uh, perceived in their, uh, in their eyes. I think also that uh, some of it is due to a lack of confidence in uh, in our own understanding of the gospel, and also our own understanding of uh, and Bible knowledge in order to be able to sort of engage in a conversation with uh, with people about our faith. Some reason, some of the reasons, is because um, today many Christians have, don't have many non-believing friends, or don't have any non-believing friends. We sort of tend to mingle amongst you know ourselves and keep to ourselves a fair bit. That we really don't have anyone to uh, to share our faith with. And then, of course, there are those who just don't think that people will be interested in what they've got to say. The simple fact of the matter is is that as believers in Jesus, as followers of him, proclaiming the gospel is not optional. In fact, it's something that we cannot choose to do or not to do. Last week we began a preaching series on our purpose as a church here at North Pine. That is why we exist as a church. And we saw last week that North Pine Baptist Church exists for the purpose of worshipping God. That's what we looked at last week, that whole aspect of, of, of what it means to be a worshipper of God. But not only that, but also to proclaim the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ in order that people might come to know Jesus in a personal Saving relationship with him, that they might enter into a living relationship with Jesus Christ, to know him in, a, in a, not just a, a head knowledge way, but in an experiential way in their hearts. That also that they might come to follow him obediently, that they might become people who seek to, uh, to love the Lord Jesus Christ and to demonstrate that love through doing what he commands through his word. And, of course, to 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 serve him faithfully, be about his kingdom business in our world today. And if you want to bring that down to a little bit shorter, then our mission is to see people become mature disciples of Jesus Christ through knowing, growing and sowing. Psalm 96, which we looked at last week, says that as the people of God, we are to tell of his salvation day by day that we are to declare his glory among the nations. So proclamation, when it comes to proclaiming Jesus Christ, the, the, uh, the, uh, the fact that he is indeed the Son of God, the Saviour of the world, that we as we proclaim his gospel message of salvation, that uh, that is indeed part of our worship of God. That is part of how we worship our God and as we give him the praise and honour and glory in our lives. So this morning we're going to focus on this whole aspect of proclamation. And the first thing I want to uh I want us to see this morning as we open up our our uh, chapter this morning in 1 Peter chapter 2 is that uh that we have been chosen. That we have been chosen by God for this particular purpose. It says in verse 9, "But you are a chosen race." What Peter reminds is, is, is reminding believers, the people that the Christians that he's speaking to, and and us obviously as readers of his uh, of his letter, that uh, because through our being joined with Jesus Christ through faith, that we have become a chosen race, a chosen group of people belonging to God. Our salvation is based on the sovereign electing purposes of God. That God has set His love and affection on us. You just think about that for a moment. That God, the creator of all things, the one who is awesome in all of His power and might and holiness and goodness, He has set His love and affection on us. On you. He set his love and affection on you. Now, of course, that should lead us to be overwhelmed with a great sense of of gratitude and thankfulness for God and his mercy because we were completely unworthy of God's love. We were completely unworthy of God's mercy and compassion towards us. We were people who re- re- turned our backs on God, who had rejected him, who were trying to who were just about living our lives as we wanted to live our lives with, with no thought of God or what His purpose was for us at all, and yet God, in his great in his grace and his mercy and compassion, set his love and affection on us, and that should be something which just so. Overwhelms our hearts with gratitude and thankfulness that we would want to do anything to serve Him. Not only have we become a chosen race, but it goes on to say that we are a royal priesthood. Now this reflects God's words to Moses in Exodus chapter 19 verses 5 and 6, where he says that Israel, the people of God, were to be His treasured possession, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Israel, though, forfeited this immense privileged position due to their unfaithfulness to God because they continued to reject him and continued to go after other gods, the gods of the nations around about them. But God didn't give up on his plan. He saw fit instead to redeem for himself a people from every nation which in fact was his purpose right from the very beginning as well, because when you you uh, you get you see the call of uh, of Abraham in Genesis 12, God says, My purpose in calling you, Abraham, was to bless you, to make you into a great nation, but also that through you all the nations of the earth would be blessed. That God would call for himself a people from every nation and tribe and tongue in order to make them a kingdom of priests who would serve their king and reign with him forever on earth. That's what Revelation 5.10 tells us. So how does God go about bringing people into his kingdom? Well, primarily, the, the, we, the, we see that, that it is first through the, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That Jesus has opened up the way, if you like, for us to, to, to be able to be welcomed into God's family. that that Jesus had to come and give his life as a sacrifice on the cross for our sin to pay our sin debt before God, that we might be able to receive his forgiveness, that we might be able to be given his righteousness and be able to be placed in this wonderful and privileged position of being children of the everlasting God. So Jesus has made clear the way, he's made open the way, But then God, through the proclamation of his message of salvation, through his people like you and I, then makes that offer of salvation open to everyone. We are to be proclaimers of that message. So along with being chosen, we've also been commissioned. God says here in his word, Peter says, not only are you a chosen race and a royal priesthood, but you are a holy nation. Set apart for God to be in a unique relationship with him in his family and kingdom and to live lives that, that, that reflect who he is and how, and how he's called us to live. That we are to live in certain ways. We are to live holy lives. Not only are we a, not only are we a holy nation, but we're also a people for God's own possession. God's treasured possession, meaning that word possession means that we have been brought at a price. We've been brought at a price. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20 says that, that we are not our own, that we have been brought with a price, the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And God's purpose in giving us this new status in Christ is so that we might proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Now that word proclaim means to to make something known which was previously unknown. And the excellencies that Peter speaks of here are the, the extraordinary and powerful works of God in providing us his wonderful salvation and securing our salvation. In Jesus. That Jesus, in dying on the cross and in offering his, his life and forgiveness, has rescued us from the darkness of sin and death, and instead has brought us into the light of his truth and the glorious promise of eternal life forever and ever with him. Every single one of us this morning who have come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, who have recognised our need for him as saviour, have been brought from this kingdom of darkness into his wonderful kingdom of light. Think about that. each and every one of us were people with no hope. We were people without any kind of future. We were people who were ruled in our very natures by sin. That we were people who were destined for God's wrath, his righteous judgment because of our sin. Our world was indeed darkness. And yet in his mercy God reached out and he shone his light of truth and grace and love into our lives in order for us to see what an amazing and glorious God he is but also for us to see the love that he has for us and who we were created to be first and foremost in his very image. And God wants us to, to be blessed in that, in knowing him and living with him in our lives. Having him as our God and as the one who, who walks with us day by day in our lives, who helps us with every situation that we might come across in our lives to give us the strength and the grace and the hope and the endurance and the perseverance that we all need every single day when we live in this kind of world that is filled with darkness. God has rescued out of that darkness and brought him into his wonderful kingdom of light. Surely that deserves an amen. 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 Now this commissioning of, of proclaiming this wonderful message is made explicit, of course, in the Great Commission. We looked at this last week in Matthew 28 and 19 and 20. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore. We act, folks, with the authority of Jesus Christ. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth is mine, Jesus says. And then he says to his disciples, yes, the, the 11 back then, but also us today, because of the authority that I have, I now give you that authority to go into the world and proclaim this message of salvation that is only found in me. Go, therefore, and make disciples with the authority that I have given you. Before Jesus ascended back into heaven, he told his disciples that they would receive power through the Holy Spirit and be his witnesses. That not only have we got Jesus' authority, but we have also got Jesus' power of his Holy Spirit living within us to help us to be his very witnesses living in our world today. We don't have to do it on our own, but we have got God within us helping us, enabling us and equipping us in order to be able to proclaim this message to our needy world today. And all through Acts we've got a record of the disciples taking this very message of salvation to the ends of the earth. Revelation chapter 5 verses 9 and 10 gives us a wonderful glimpse into the future when we see the results of this very proclamation where it says, And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, speaking of Jesus. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on earth. That, folks, is a glimpse of the future of what God is working towards right now and we're a part of that. He's calling people from every nation and tribe and tongue to be a part of his glorious kingdom and he's called us to to, to, to be uh, active with him in this task of seeing people being whose lives are being rescued out of darkness and being brought into his wonderful light and grace and truth. Of being freed from the guilt and the and the the the, the, uh, the, the, the uh, slavery that sin and that it has its grasp on us, being rescued from that. Romans chapter ten verse fourteen says this. It says Paul asks these questions. He says, "How then will they call on Him who they've not believed?" Speaking of you know the, these people in our world today, how on earth are they going to call on Jesus? if they've not even heard of him how can they call on the one that they've not believed in and how are they how are they to believe in him whom they've never heard and how are they to hear without someone preaching paul is saying folks there are people out there who are going to a Christless eternity of suffering and torment forever and ever and ever and ever and unless they hear this message of good news and have a chance to respond to that then then their their, their, their situation is hopeless. And how are they going to hear it without people proclaiming that message? Of course, Paul answers his own questions in Romans 10, 17, where he says, So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ, the gospel message of Jesus. So we've been chosen, we've been commissioned, And the content of our message is this, and it's found in verses 4 to 8 of our passage this morning, the content of our proclamation. In verses 4 to 8 it speaks of the fact that the basis for a person being granted this wonderful access to God, of becoming part of his spiritual house and this holy priesthood, is purely on their acceptance of Jesus Christ as God's cornerstone. Now a cornerstone was, was uh, the first stone put in place when it came to erecting a building. It was the first stone that was placed down and all of the other stones or bricks that were used then to build that building took all of their, uh, all of their um, alignment and all that sort of stuff from that cornerstone. So it was so important that this cornerstone be true and accurate and perfect in every single way so that the building didn't end up looking like something I'd built. But that it was straight and level and solid and, and, and sure and in every single way. It was essential that the cornerstone be perfect and true. And we're told that Jesus is indeed the living cornerstone, chosen by God, divinely prepared by God for the, before the creation of the world. Even though in verse four we're told he was rejected by men. Rejected by men, yes, but chosen by God. And folks, there in that is is an example for us, that yes, men may reject us, but we have been chosen by God. Chosen by God. Jesus was to be the foundation for God's new household, that whoever believes in him will not be put to shame, we see in verse 6. In other words, they will be forever secure in Jesus. Having placed their confidence and hope in him as saviour, he will not disappoint them. He will not disappoint us who have put our faith and our trust and our hope in him. John MacArthur says, Because Jesus Christ is the perfect, exact, precise one on whom God has built his church, he alone is the basis on which people become a part of it. John chapter 1 and verse 12 says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. John three sixteen and 18 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. John 14, verse 6, Jesus' words about himself says, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And again in Acts chapter 4, It says, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. I don't know how we can make it any clearer than that, folks, that Jesus is the only way to have a relationship with God, to have our eternal future secure in him. There is no other way. This is the message of the gospel, that God in his grace has provided a saviour for us, one who became like us, who died for our sins in order to make us right with God. And over and over, the Bible makes clear that the only way to be a part of God's kingdom, to be welcomed into his family, is through admitting our need for Jesus Christ. Here we see the ABCs of the gospel, folks. It's really, really simple. We need first to admit our need for Jesus as Saviour, that we indeed need someone to pay for our sins. Secondly, we need to believe in him that through his death and resurrection that he has paid for our sin, he's opened up the the, the doorway to God, opened up the way for us to be welcomed into God's family, that we need to believe in him, that he is indeed God's only saviour and that we are to commit to following Jesus and his ways. Admit, believe and commit. It's as simple as that. And can I urge you this morning, if you are sitting here in this place and you have not done that, you have not admit, admitted your need for Jesus, you, have not, you do not believe in his name, you have not committed your, your life to following him, to, uh, to loving him, then folks, I urge you today with everything that I have, I urge you to be reconciled to God. For it is your only hope. That is the content of our message, chosen, commissioned, the content and now the consequences. What we can expect as we carry out this proclamation. In First Peter chapter 2, verse 8, we see that Jesus is a stone of stumbling and a rock of offence. Folks, as we proclaim Jesus as the only means by which a person can be saved, that can be made right before God and acceptable to God, we can expect this message to cause offence. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18 says, For the word of the cross is folly or foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. There are going to be people in our world today who will see this message as foolishness, but that in itself confirms their own eternal destiny. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 15 and 16 says, For we, those who proclaim the message of Christ, are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death, and the other, a fragrance from life to life. To some people, we will be a stench in their nostrils because of the message that we proclaim. But to some, we will be the wonderful aroma of life. John 15, verses 18 to 19 says this. Jesus, in confirming to his disciples as they go out in his name, he says, if the world hates you, know this, that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, then the world would love you as its own. It would embrace you. But because you are not of the world, because I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. The world will hate you. Just as Jesus is rejected, so we can expect to be rejected too for proclaiming him. However, what we can also expect is that some will indeed accept the message and find salvation in Jesus Christ. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame, verse 6. The book of Acts Wonderful book, which we said, speaks about the uh, the wonderful uh, message of salvation that is proclaimed there in the in the first century. How the, uh, the the apostles and disciples of Jesus were sent out from Jerusalem, and went out in the power of the Holy Spirit. They proclaimed the message of Jesus Christ, and there, right at Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit first of all came on Jesus' followers, we see that that day over three thousand people came to know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. In Acts chapter 2 verse 47, as a consequence of the witness of the church, we read that the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. In Acts chapter 4, it speaks about over 5,000 people coming to know Jesus Christ in one day. In chapter 16 of Acts, we see Lydia and the Philippian jailer and his household who came to saving faith in Jesus Christ. These are not just stories, folks. These are real people people who have been rescued out of darkness and being brought into the kingdom of his wonderful light and truth. Acts chapter 17 speaks of Dionysius and Damaris. Not this Damaris, but another Damaris. And others, and the list of people in Romans 16, people who have come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. These names of people we have in the Bible are real people people who heard the message of the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ and responded to that in faith and whose lives were transformed. And today God has promised that people from every nation, people, tribe and tongue, he is calling today into his family. And he wants to use each and every one of us as a part of that, not because he needs us, because he wants us to be blessed in that. He wants us to be able to have our faith strengthened and nurtured and grown in being those people, in going out and being his witnesses and seeing God work in us and through us. Doesn't that get you excited? Thanks, Brie. Revelation 7, 9 and 10. Again, this wonderful glimpse into the future where it says, And after this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb that is Jesus, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. That is God's purpose that He's working towards. Even today, He's working towards bringing all of these people into His family, and He wants to use you and I in that. God doesn't want us to go out, you know, thinking that this is we've got to do this in, you know, with a with a level of guilt that we've got to do it because oh, God, just you know, I've been commanded to do this, or so I've just got to go out and do this, you know, like kids when you're told to go and tidy up your room, you know, or Dad, you've been sent out to do the gardening. Or mums, you've got to go back to the kitchen or the 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 laundry or stuff like that. It's just got to be done. God wants us to find joy in this, folks. He wants us to see the excitement in it. He wants us to step out in faith with Him and see what wonderful things He can do through His power. And what a powerful message we have! Because look what Paul says of the gospel in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for I know that it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. There is a power that is at work in that very message of, as we proclaim that message of the gospel. The power of God, the miraculous, supernatural, wonderful, almighty, glorious power of God is at work in that message, speaking into people's hearts and bringing about a new, that, that, that faith and that trust and that hope in him in the lives of those people. It's a powerful message, folks. But God has promised to be with us in this mission of proclaiming his gospel. As I said in Matthew 28, right at the very end there, Jesus says, And lo, I am with you always. To the very end of the age. So, as I send you out with all authority, as I send you out to go and proclaim the message of the gospel and make disciples, don't think that you're on your own. You've got my indwelling Holy Spirit, you've got my power that goes with you, and He says, I am with you. Always. Beside you, within you, day by day by day. The last thing we need to note is that ultimately it will indeed be a work of the Holy Spirit of God that will bring about conviction of sin and confession of faith in Jesus Christ. That yes, God will, choose, will God chooses to use us, but ultimately it will be the work of the Holy Spirit that brings about conviction of sin in a person's heart that will cut them to the heart through that message and, and, and hopefully bring them to that faith. Jesus said, oh sorry, we read Paul's words into to the Ephesians where he says, it is by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing. But it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that anyone might boast. It is indeed a work of God. All of salvation is a work of God. And so whenever someone comes to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Saviour, all praise and honour and glory goes to him. And yeah, we get the blessing. But it's a work of God. John 6, John 6, says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Got to be a work of God, folks. And finally, in John sixteen eight, and when the Holy Spirit comes, He will convict the world. It is the Holy Spirit's job to convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. So don't think that you've got it all weighing down on your shoulders. That it's up to you. You know that you the words that you say have got to be absolutely perfect, and you know you've got to have all of this. You know in, this incredible spiel down pat to be able to sort of just dump on people. We remember that it is the Spirit's work first and foremost. Our purpose is to proclaim the message of salvation to needy souls and we need to be prepared. That's not not saying that we can just go out there and just do it willy-nilly. We need to be prepared. 1 Peter 3.15 says, But in your hearts, honour Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defence to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. We've been chosen. We've been commissioned. We've been given, the, we've been given the, the, the content of the message that we had to reclaim. And we recognise we, there are going to be all sorts of different consequences that we face. But let me just finish with 1 Peter 2 verse 10 this morning. As we prepare our hearts for communion, which itself is indeed a proclamation of the gospel message. Jesus says, whenever you eat this and drink this, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This in itself is our proclamation of God and of his mercy and grace and goodness to us. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 10 says, Once you were not a people. Once you were not a part of God's family. Once you were not a part of God's household. But now you are God's people. Do you get that? Now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy. But now you have received mercy. Let's go and live in the light of that, the knowledge of that, of who we are and of the wonderful privilege that we have of serving our God in proclaiming his wonderful message of salvation to those who still need to receive God's mercy. Amen? Let's pray and then we'll come around God's table together. Father, we want to thank you this morning for this message from your word that reminds us again of your incredible uh, goodness to us in saving us from our sin. And the Lord, we recognise that today that uh, there are many, many people in our world who still have not heard that message of salvation in Jesus Christ, that who are living in darkness. And Lord, you've called us as your children to go out there in the world and to live holy lives, lives that are set apart to you, Lives which are distinct and different from the way in which the world at large lives today. Not because we think ourselves better than them, but because we have been called to a higher purpose. Lord, we have been called and blessed to be part of your family. And that, Lord, that privilege is not just for us, but that, Lord, you would, you, your desire is that everyone might come to salvation in Jesus. Not that everyone will. And, Lord, you've called us today as your your people to go out, proclaim that message, live it out in our lives. And, Lord, as we seek to do that humbly and dependently and obediently with you, that you have promised through your Holy Spirit to always be with us, to enable us, to equip us, to empower us, and that as we speak that message of the gospel, your power goes forward in those very words and can bring people to that saving knowledge of you to rescue them out of darkness and bring them into that wonderful kingdom of light. Lord, may we be people who seek to, to honour you in that, who seek to join you in that wonderful and glorious um, privilege of being able to proclaim your message. May we be people who see your uh, power at work in the lives of, of those around about us, calling them into you know into salvation, Lord seeing their lives turned upside down and transformed completely by you and lord being people who have received your mercy and so we commit that to you now in jesus name amen as i said as we come around the table i might ask the stewards to uh, to come up as we come around this table this morning We've got two very, very simple elements, the, uh, the bread and the, and the grape juice, which remind us again of the body of Jesus Christ given for us. That he would, uh, would come, he would actually leave all of the glory of heaven behind in order to come and live as a man on this earth. That he would give up so much in order to bless us and save us. And, of course, the grape juice speaks of his blood shed for us, the blood with which there is no, without the blood spilling, there is no forgiveness of sins. That blood shed for us that we might receive that forgiveness and be welcomed into his family. These elements, as simple as they are, are powerful in what they proclaim. And as we partake of these elements this morning, I want you to consider, indeed, what they do mean to you that you have received the mercy of God and now you are God's child, that you are a chosen person, that you are indeed a holy person, that you are indeed God's treasured possession in order that you might proclaim the excellencies of the one who has called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. I'm going to distribute the elements in a second and uh, ask that you would eat the bread on on your own but that you would hold the cup that we might all drink together in fellowship this morning. Let's pray. Father, as we receive these elements this morning, help us to again uh, realise the the wonderful uh, privilege and the wonderful grace that has been just so richly poured out on our lives because of Jesus. And help us, Lord, to be people who walk in his footsteps, who are prepared to put our own interests aside in order to serve the interests of, first and foremost of you, but also indeed to serve the interests of others that they might come to know Jesus as their own personal saviour. And as we partake of these elements this morning, Lord, may they be indeed a blessing to us, a reminder of who we are in you and all that you've done for us in Jesus Christ. Amen.